Welcome to Opportunity Unlocked. I'm your host, Noah Ifrigan, and once again, we are here to bring you insights, accounts, and opinions on how we can find opportunity as COVID continues to shake things up. Thank you for tuning in. The world is changing, and that's just it. The world is changing. The grass is greener and the air is cleaner. As across the globe, streets are empty, cities are silent, and factories are closed. It has taken a pandemic to get us to stop and smell the roses, and literally. So where do we go from here? To talk about this, our guest today is the veteran entrepreneur and leader in the sustainability space, Nathan Gilliland. Nathan is the CEO of Bellwether Coffee, the California-based sustainable coffee company backed by countless VCs and investors, including SolarCity founders Peter and Lyndon Rive. Bellwether has revolutionized the coffee industry with their zero-emissions coffee roaster and online coffee bean marketplace. You walk right into a cafe and their machine roasts their delicious and responsible coffee right in front of you. There really is nothing better than a fresh cup of joe. Nathan began his career as a management consultant at Bain & Company and then as executive vice president of Bain Capital for 12 years, where he led new equity investments, buyouts, and growth capital initiatives. He then moved into the sustainability space, founding the alternative energy company Harvest Power, working at Kleiner Perkins as an entrepreneur in residence, and leading General Fusion as CEO, a revolutionary company that is commercializing fusion energy. While now running Bellwether Coffee, Nathan is also on the board of Evoke Innovations Venture Fund, a leading clean tech fund based in Vancouver. Nathan and I have an awesome conversation about his story as an entrepreneur in sustainability and his perspective on COVID's impacts on the future of our environment. Let's get into it. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me, Noah. I love, love to be here. So you started your career out of UC Berkeley as a consultant at Bain and then moving into the executive vice president role that you were in at Bain Capital, but then shifting your career into sustainability entrepreneurship with your founding of Harvest Power, the alternative energy company that you started. So at what point did you decide you wanted to go into the sustainable tech space and what was the reason for it? Sure. Great, great question. Yeah. I, as you said, I really feel like I grew up you know, at Bain and Company and Bain Capital for the for the twelve years I was there on, on a combined basis, um, it really felt like I sort of had a, a good grounding how to think about growing a business, what works, what doesn't, how to think about strategy, um, and I really wanted to you know give a shot at doing something myself, something entrepreneurial. Um, there's a whole lot of creativity that comes along with um, being able to build something. Um, it's certainly harder in a lot of ways, but a whole lot of creativity gets thrown at it. Um, at the same time, um, you know, just have always cared a lot about social impact, whether it be the environment or or, or others. Uh, definitely learned a lot about both those things from my parents, and it was always something that was near and dear to my heart and to me. And so, wanted to see if I could combine a, something that w- would have a real and lasting social impact with, you know, still trying to build a business. Absolutely. And going into the sustainability space, it is different being an entrepreneur in that space, trying to tackle social environmental problems over others, and also pushing against sort of the resistance of the corporate world uh, that can often prioritize finances over sustainability. Is there a reason you chose that space in particular? And and how is it different? Sure. You know, I think back when um, I first started down this, this path in 2008, I think we were still in the in some ways, the first chapter of businesses, you know, being being built around sustainability. And when I say the first chapter, a lot of that was still the mindset of, hey, we want to do something good for the world, but it meant sacrificing something. 
So your energy might be better, but it'll be more expensive. Your car might be better, but it'll be more expensive. And, um, you know, and as you said, there, there were sort of some corporate resistance to that sort of change back then. But when you look back, it's been, it's been 12 years and, and we really are on chapter two now, which is about sustainability without sacrifices. So meaning I want something better for the world and I want it to be better. So a fresher product, uh, you know, I always think about Tesla when I, when, I, when I talk about that, which is they made a product dramatically better for the world, but also just a better product. It's an amazing car. And I think that's the symbol for this chapter two of sustainability. Uh, that we're on now, which is building businesses with both a better product and a better uh, environmental footprint. Mm-hmm. And in that same context, let's talk about Bellwether Coffee, which you are currently the CEO of. Um, the, your main product is an in-house coffee roaster with a minimized carbon footprint. Why is this unique and why is it important in sustainable coffee making? Sure. So yes, um, Bellwether Coffee, we make um, the only commercial electric and ventless coffee roaster that is designed for cafes and grocery stores. Um, the, the key benefits of it are you can clearly roast in the store. It's a much fresher product, um, great theater. It's a cool looking machine run by an iPad. Um, and as you noted, the, the carbon footprint of the machine is just dramatically different, both because it's run on electricity instead of natural gas, but also um, because it cleans the air as it roasts. So it results in actually a 90% lower carbon footprint. And I'll just run on that for a second, which is that I think coffee, which we all drink, or most of us, it's the most consumed beverage in the US, has a surprisingly high carbon footprint. And I'll explain. So uh, green coffee uh, is grown in the tropics. So you can picture your uh, coffee being grown in Brazil, for example. Green coffee meaning unroasted coffee, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Unroasted coffee that's grown on a plant, typically above a thousand meters and very often on small farms all around the world. That green coffee gets shipped to, in you know, let's say Seattle, gets roasted in Seattle at giant facilities and put back in bags and then shipped out all over the world to cafes. So Drinking coffee has a higher carbon footprint than people realize. So being able to do distributed roasting, which is what we we call it, being able to ship green coffee straight to a store, being able to roast it right there in the store uh, on an electric uh, machine results in a dramatically different, just a different ballgame in terms of uh, the carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. And and before when you were talking about how sustainable technology 10, 20 years ago was looked at as a sacrifice, is the technology you're offering with Bellwether, is it a sacrifice? Is it going to cost more? And are consumers willing to pay for that? Great question. I think that that's, um, that's precisely the point. I, I feel like we're part of this chapter two of building sustainable businesses, which is making a product that's better um, and not more expensive. In fact, uh, be roasting in your store for 80 to 90% of our customers is lower cost than buying that wholesale third-party roasted coffee. So uh, we're bringing both this much better carbon footprint, but also a super fresh product um, at a lower cost. Typically, our customers are saving about $1,000 a month. So we're trying to hit all those pieces and, and you know, 
not just have a better carbon footprint, but again, make it a better product too. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I read about what you guys do is there's an issue in, in the coffee industry in which 40% of revenue from coffee sold goes to the actual coffee roaster and only three cents per cup goes to the coffee farmers, which are often the poorest people in the poorest countries. And you guys have a tip the farmer feature in your software in which you can directly tip from the machine to the farmer. Is that, is that right? That's right. That's right. It's a, it's a really neat feature. So um, we work with a number of coffee farms around the world and find coffees that um, we think are taste amazing, but also have a great story behind them. Maybe it's a, uh, a family farm that's been there for generations and, you know, need, need someone to buy, you know, their crop for the year or a women-owned cooperative in Colombia that we work with quite a bit. We work with some specific coffees provide those to our customers. And then on an optional basis at, at checkout at the point of sale system, they can opt in to pay five cents a cup. Um, and that might not sound like much because it isn't for a you know, $4 latte, but to a farmer who's making three cents a cup typically in revenue, you're talking about doubling their revenue. And, and it's the difference between sort of just getting by and, and being sustainable, right? Having a sustainable business um, for their for their family, so yeah, it's a it's a feature that um, our customers get really excited about. I would also add that it really helps educate our customers and end consumers about where coffee is really from. That there's people on the other side of that. That you know how coffee is grown and where it's grown. So there's sort of a creating that financial connection really you know brings us all together. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge coffee fan myself. I think that's an awesome awesome feature. I think that, you know, the emphasis on responsibility in the industry that you're working in, I think is really awesome and, and exemplified by that. So awesome for Bellwether Coffee in that sense. So I've seen in the news that Bellwether, because of COVID, has been playing both both defense, of course, to the situation, but also offense. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys have been doing? Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there. I think when the pandemic started to play itself out. I think there's a natural reaction for everyone, including us for the first couple of weeks of, you know, this feeling of like, Hey, we just need to survive. Let's climb into a bunker and hopefully everything is going to get better. The reality is this is going to go on a long time, right? So we all have to learn how to do business differently, how to grow a business in this environment, which is going to be with us a long time. And fundamentally, I think business is going to be different forever. So um, we've really shifted, you know, really since late March into, as you said, going on offense. Give you some examples. So internally, it's not just about sort of making things as good as they were before, but really trying to focus on the parts of the business that you were worried about and um, switching them from challenges to big opportunities. So specifically, like internally, it's allowed us to define um, our our employees' roles and responsibilities much more clearly because we all need to you know, really have specific and clear tasks in front of us, given we're all working remotely. Um, secondly, around communication, how to do communication differently and better. On the external side, um, you know, it's a it's a new world of sales, you know, and we sell, as you described, sort of green coffee and, and coffee roasters to um, folks in the U.S. and Canada. The way to sell is different, right? You can't show up at a cafe anymore. Um, so how do we do that? It's about better digital assets. It's about quick Zoom calls, quick video calls, um, and really 
enabling them to think about how to bring their business online, how they could sell more coffee and grocery, and really just rethinking the sales process that I know not just us, but millions of companies are, are thinking through the same thing. Gotcha. I think those are really awesome. And um, yeah, selling in this environment is, I can imagine, a struggle, especially in the in the retail space. But it seems like you guys are doing a good job of adapting here. So to shift a little bit of our, our, of our discussion here to sustainability and, and the environment, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about how the environment has been impacted by the coronavirus. One example being air pollution dramatically dropping in coronavirus hotspots. Um, but there's a ton of things going on in the world right now. How can this reduced carbon footprint be an opportunity for society? Yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right that um, when, when people think about you know, the environment, it, it tends to be so abstract, right? Especially when, when you think about climate change or CO2 emissions, you know, CO2 is something you can't see or smell. So it's really hard to connect with it. What the pandemic has helped create is people can look up at the sky and say, wow, like where I live in the San Francisco Bay area, it's quiet. The sky is, in, you know, bluer than I've seen it. And you, know, you can see for many miles, which is different. And I think it's, really woken people up to our own impact and our own relationship to the environment. Like we can, I'm sounding sort of dramatic, but we can see the stars now in, you know, in urban locations in the Bay Area when we really couldn't see them um, even six months ago. So I think that's dawned on people that, you know, our relationship to the environment and the, and the tangible and specific things that we do that, that impact it. So I'm actually thinking this is a, maybe a transformational moment around around the environment, and um, and pretty pretty excited about it. And I certainly hope and think that our business model fits well into that because um, it allows our customers to have lower costs, but also again this um, dramatically lower carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. In terms of this being a wake up call, specifically for corporate sustainability initiatives, for example. Do you expect this to really be a wake-up call and them to actually start shifting and, and realize the possibilities of reducing their carbon footprint? Or should we be worried you know, and, and expect them to potentially ditch their social responsibility in prioritizing their, their suffering finances? It's a great question. And obviously, only time will tell. It's certainly going to be a combination of both because kind of getting back to the earlier conversation, people aren't, aren't going to be willing to pay more for something because it's better for the environment. So businesses that have a product that can be better for the environment and not more expensive are the ones that are going to survive. So I do think it's both. I do think that the awareness and the connection that we have to understanding that whatever happens in China or Italy is connected to us and our ability to actually see changes in the environment in a very short period of time will have lasting impact, no question in my mind. Uh, but you're absolutely right. You know, time will tell. I think there's certainly going to be some um, folks that go in both directions. I think what's also occurred is this has been incredibly damaging to the oil and gas industry, which you know are, is one of the primary contributors to CO2. Will that have a long-term and lasting impact on those businesses and, and shift us to electrification and electric automobiles much more quickly? I think there's a lot of logic that that may be the case because uh, you've had severe and unprecedented damage to that entire industry. And does that shift us to a more electric economy and electric transportation system? 
I think it probably does. Uh-huh. And and talking about that shift, you're on the board of the Clean Tech Venture Fund, Evoke Innovations, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. In many cases, COVID is accelerating the trend towards technology adoption. Has this been the same for the clean tech companies in Evoke's portfolio? Great question. Given this is playing, it's all played out in 60 days, it's still a little early. I think the fact that the environment and our interconnectedness has become front and center, by and large, we, we've invested in about 15 companies, 12 or 13 of them, I would suggest, are, are doing better in this environment, both as folks think about how to find renewable sources of energy to a number of our investments are in remote sensing and um, machine learning across multiple industries, even, even oil and gas. And this concept of working remotely and less travel plays really well into uh, remote sensing of methane emissions or how to monitor pipelines remotely. So, so far, I'd say it's playing into into the hands of our investments. But, you know, time will tell for sure. It's it's still uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's awesome to hear that you, your investments, I mean, 12 or 13 out of 15 is, is quite a good hit rate, um, especially considering what's happening in the economy right now. So, so happy for Evoke Innovations. So with all the change going on in the world right now, there are a lot of shifts in consumer behavior. Some of that can be good for the environment and some of that can be bad for the environment. So actually just on the previous episode of Opportunity Unlocked, Um, I spoke with an entrepreneur who was saying that right now he's seeing a big shift towards direct-to-consumer distribution through e-commerce, which actually could have a potentially quite negative impact on the environment because of all the packaging uh, and the excess of packaging that is used in that kind of delivery system. What market trends do you see that could be good or could be bad? Um, And what are you worried about or excited for in that sense? Great, great point. You're, you're right. When we have everything shipped to our home, there does seem to be excess packaging um, and it, it, it seems a bit unavoidable. On the other side of that, though, the logistics system um, is, is complicated in that, you know, if you are having a good just shipped from one place to a warehouse to you, that's a much shorter um, supply chain than to multiple warehouses, than to a retail location you driving to the retail location and picking it up. So it's a, it's a complicated answer. I do think you're probably right, unfortunately, that um, until we have more affordable uh, and environmentally friendly packaging, I, I, I think it's unavoidable to, to see that impact. I think you're, you're spot on. Mm-hmm. And do you see potentially any other areas that we should look forward to in terms of the environmental impact being reduced or, or that we should be worried about? It's a good question. Mostly what I can think about are benefits. I think we're all going to be traveling quite a bit less for the foreseeable future, hopefully not forever. Carbon footprint of all modes of transportation is is pretty high. I think that's clearly a benefit in, in any kind of economic slowdown. Consumption drops pretty significantly. So I think that'll have a positive impact on the environment, not so much on, on our economy. On other areas that are, that are challenging, I, I think you hit the main one, which is mass custom shipping to 150 million households, you have to think that's going to create some challenges um, on the packaging front. So as an entrepreneur and a longtime executive, you've mentioned to me that you've been having lots of conversations with people about rethinking exactly our perspective on the economy, um, finding new opportunities here. What have those conversations been for you and what opportunities are you seeing really here, both you know entrepreneurially in our personal lives 
Yeah, you know, when, when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind are, are, are things more on like the personal front. So I'll, I'll start with those. I found myself doing a lot more family walks, for example. I have three children. I feel closer to them than, than I ever have. So we're spending a lot of time together. I've been doing Zoom calls with my high school friends, and it's been a long time since we've all gotten together. And so the concept of a number of folks feel feel a bit isolated, which I understand. I think we've tried to turn that on its head and, and feel probably more connected to our friends and family than we ever have. Um, that's that's sort of the first thing that comes to mind. From a, from a business standpoint, I think it's the same concept, which is whether it be your customers or prospects or suppliers to you, I think it's an opportunity to build closer relationships to them. Um, we're all sort of battling the same, we're all in the same war, right? And it provides some some common ground for all of us to, to converse and understand one another a whole lot better. And, you know, ultimately, companies are successful through deeper relationships, right? Deeper relationships with their customers, understanding their needs better, understanding why someone wants to buy or not buy your product. And I think this creates an opportunity, ironically, to do that better than we ever have because we're forced to slow down and um, and 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 all want to communicate and all want we're social creatures, right? We all want to communicate. So I think y- using all of this as an opportunity to create relationships in business, deeper and longer ones, are, are is going to be a lasting impact. And I think uh, honestly, it's going to be a positive one over the long term. Uh huh. And in the short term, with all with all that's going on, you know, you're a leader of of a company with over fifty employees, um, and every company right now is is being forced to endure stresses that they've never seen before because of COVID. As a leader, what practices have you been putting into place to manage these stresses, both on the staff at Bellwether and also the financial positioning? Sure. Um, first on the financial positioning, um, like a lot of companies, we had to kind of rethink our cost structure a little bit have trimmed trimmed a little bit of cost, not a lot. We did that not because we wanted to, but because we are heading into such uncertain times. It was the prudent thing to do. Um, for our employees, just some a couple specific examples of things that that we've done. We have a Zoom water cooler hour every day from 12 to 1 in which people can log, log on to Zoom, any employees, and, and hang out. Number two, we're doing a Zoom trivia evening where we divide up into teams and through a facilitator, do trivia. We certainly have had Zoom drinks after after work together, and then and then third, it's you know we're really trying to put together a reopening plan for ourselves in in our office. And uh, again, thinking about since we since we need to reorganize our office anyway, um, how do we make it better than it was before? Not just adapt, but actually thrive um, in that in terms of how we work together, which conference rooms we can use and not use, and how to make the place even more welcome than it was before. So those are some some little things. On the sales front, we're really spending a lot of time thinking about how do we sell in this new environment. And I think uh, an example of that is we found little 15-minute, 10-minute quick calls, quick Zoom calls to our customers or to prospects is, has been effective. Um, similarly, we've held a couple webinars for our customers about how to navigate through this. And I think it all goes back to that, like building closer relationships. And it used to be just a phone call. 
now that little 10 minute video, you have an invitation now to do 10 minute video calls with people. It does bring you closer together. And I think in some cases makes selling easier and faster, ironically. Those are some really awesome initiatives. As the leader of this company, how are you also managing your own stress levels and your own response to this situation, ensuring that the stresses that the company is enduring is not creating too much stress for yourself? It's a great question. I think when we started in lockdown March 18th, um, I'll admit it was super stressful for a couple of weeks, in large part because of the profound uncertainty on a personal level, family, and, and the company itself, and, and sort of what should we do? Um, what changed was this concept of going on offense. So how do we not just sort of get back to the way things were, but how do we make them better? That became really personally empowering um, for me to think about, oh, okay, we had this problem before. Not only can we solve it, let's make it, make it better. Um, and that created, I think it was empowering. I think that's the right word. Um, the feeling that we weren't victims of circumstance anymore, but that we had an opportunity to take advantage of the circumstances around us. So I found my stress level dropped precipitously when we started thinking that way. And then as I have over the last couple of months, I think helped convince a lot of our employees that that, that is the case too. And I think we're, we're feeling really good right now. And I think our morale is as good as it's ever been at this moment. Wow, that's that's amazing. It takes a takes a pandemic to bring you guys this high. Um, finishing off here, looking ahead, what are the things that we can do to you know maintain this positive attitude, this boost in morale that you just spoke about, and ensure that as time continues, as things continue to change, we stay happy, healthy, and prosperous. It's a great question. I you know I'll throw some thoughts in there, but I'm I'm I spend a fair amount of time trying to read online about this very question too. I think it's a, you know, a million dollar question. I think this, this concept of slowing down and focusing on the things that are right in front of you, that forces you to work on the things that are most important. Um, I often think about this quadrant of working on things that are maybe not urgent, but important. So your relationships, the long-term plans of the company. And I think this frees you up to spend time in that in that quadrant of how to create long-term value, how to create an amazing place to work. When we're all frantically commuting and showing up late to work or missing a meeting, that quadrant of work often gets lost. So as we all get used to this new world we're living in, I'm going to try really hard to stay and focus on on those kinds of things. So a lot of them have to do with people and developing people and mentoring people and relationships as I've outlined. So I'm hoping on a personal level that I can stay, stay in that place uh, and not return to uh, some of the frantic um, day-to-day stuff that we all deal with. That's amazing. Nathan, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. And I appreciate you joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me, Noah. I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Opportunity Unlocked. If you want to learn more about our guest, look back at the key takeaways of our discussion, or check out any of the content that was mentioned, you can find it all in the episode notes below. And if you enjoyed, make sure to subscribe and give the podcast a review in the Apple Podcasts app. Thank you for checking in and stay tuned for more episodes with exciting business leaders coming soon.